I rejoiced when he said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The Roman naturalist, the world's first environmental historian, Pliny the Elder, relates a story about a group of Phoenician sailors who got shipwrecked on a deserted shore. In order to keep warm and cook their food, the sailors set up on the beach their cooking pots on blocks of natron, or soda ash, and, and started a fire using their cargo as wood. The following morning, when the men awoke, the fire had gone out. What was left behind amazed the sailors. The fire had melted the sand and the soda into a mixture, and having cooled, the resultant means, the resultant mass, had hardened into what day we know as glass. In the first century, Romans used glass in their windows and mirrors, but images seen through it were somewhat obscured. Hence, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see in a mirror darkly. It is a point of controversy when the first colored glass appeared. We do know definitely that the first known piece of glass, of colored glass, was unearthed in 686 A.D. in Jarrow, England, at St. Paul's Monastery. This glass of color, this glass had been painted in a special way, and it is what we call mistakenly stained glass. Stained glass is glass that has been painted, then heated in an oven. The greatest era of stained glass which has never been surpassed, is the High Middle Ages, the Age of Chartres. Why did the people of the High Middle Ages put in stained glass windows? One answer is that the church needed illumination and there were no windows. One answer is that the, the church needed illumination no windows, so there were no electric lights. And given the new architecture, which was the Gothic, allowed for the placement of windows in the church, so as to let, let God's light in. This is true, but there is more. Because stained glass gives less light than a natural light window would, there must be another reason. Another answer is that the church wanted to catechize, to educate in the faith, the mass of people who were mostly illiterate. Those who could not read a catechism, read the life of Christ in the windows. It was their Bible in glass. This is also true, but there is more. Because some windows, especially 
clerestory windows are high up and can be seen but not viewed unless you have a very, very long neck. The creation of stained glass windows was then more than a function. They were, of course, to serve a function. But as with anything connected with the divine liturgy, vestments, candles, music, the objects transcend their purpose. The psalmist sings, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our hearts should be beating with rapturous joy. When we enter a church, God's own house, the Domus Day, everything about it, everything about the building should tell that beauty itself dwells within these walls. C.S. Lewis, in his mythical story, Till We Have Faces, writes, Joy silences me, and I thought I had now come to the highest, to the utmost fullness of being, which a human soul can contain. You have seen the torches grow pale when men open the shutters and broad summer morning shines in on the feasting hall. So now, from a deep breath, like a sigh uttered all around us by invisible lips, or from a deep, doubtful quaking and surmise in my own heart, I knew that all this had been only a preparation. Some far greater matter was upon us. The voices spoke again, but not loud this time. They were awed and trembled. He is coming, they said. The God is coming into his house. God's house. The Domus Dei, the Aedes Christi. The church is meant to inspire, to fill us with hope. Churches are the embassies of heaven. The place where we, where we repair to be repaired. And the place where we are rearmed for our, our daily warfare. It is a hospital, a munitions factory, a banquet hall. A place in the world. That is why the great cathedrals are situated in the midst of a hustle and bustle of a city. In the world, but not of it. A place which is passing, but belongs to that which is lasting. In July of 1967, one of the worst civil disturbances in America, American history, occurred in the inner city of Detroit. Much, much worse than what happened in Ferguson, Missouri. It lasted for more than a week with dozens of people dead, hundreds of people injured, and untold property and business damage. It only stopped when President Johnson sent in the Federalized National Guard. 
these riots began the decline of Detroit. And many areas of the once great auto metropolis have yet to recover from this day, at this day. Amid all the destruction, looting, and vandalism, only one group of buildings went untouched, unscarred. The churches. One of the leaders, a spokesman for the rioters, told the paper, they were God's house. Their steeples remind us that we are meant for better things. They give us hope. A church is like the Sunday. In the liturgical year, God Daily Sunday. It falls in the middle of Advent to remind us to have hope. Christmas is near. Advent is a penitential season, not as much as Lent, but still is penitential, liturgically at least, with violet vestments, no flowers, no organ, no alleluia, and imperial masses during the week. But one moment, one brief moment, there is an oasis to sustain our hope. We show that by rose vestments, by the sound of the organ, and by flowers. Those of us who've had the misfortune to live through the 60s and 70s, the days of ukulele liturgy and felt banners, will recall the effort to demystify the Mass and church buildings. A fellow seminarian told me back in 1970, why does God need a house? The world is his house. People actually wrote approvingly of the day when churches would not be built. They would just build multi-purpose buildings and worship spaces as part of it. I remember my first parish, St. Lawrence. I was told by Bishop Keating when he appointed me to do something about the plant, do something about the church. It was falling apart. It was not very beautiful. And so I did. And so I, I naturally put the blame on the founding pastor, which was. Monsignor Mailer, who some of us remember from as pastor here. And then I came across a letter to Father Mailer from the Diocese of Richmond. We were part of the Diocese of Richmond at that time. Rejecting his plans for the St. Lawrence. And in the letter, Bishop Sullivan, who was then chancellor, told him that there's a waste of money to spend all this on a building. There is, there will, one day, there will ha- we will have no churches, but we'll have multi-purpose buildings, small around the, on the area. And then he made fun of the uh, parish that has been, church building that has just been built with St. Anthony's. One day, there will be a, just a shell 
Nobody there. We don't waste our money on these things. Well, of course, St. Anthony's is far from Rochelle today. Father Paul's brother is a pastor. So I, I um, read the letter to the congregation, and I began a campaign to raise money. I read it, and then I said that, uh, or as Father Mailer was a prophet, he knew it would grow. Bishop Sullivan wasn't. And I said, it shows that infallibility is only for faith and morals. It doesn't extend to, to civic planning or budgets and other, or else. But today we see younger clergy and faithful, the trend to build buildings worthy of God's majesty. We have a hint at the heavenly liturgy in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, and we see the throne of God pictured, pictured as a rainbow that looked like an emerald with flashes of lightning and peals of thunder, and God's throne, and before it, God's throne is a sea of glass like crystal. My people, let's face the fact. We are all Zionists. We are all Zionists. We want Zion. We yearn for the heavenly Jerusalem. And so we attempt to build our churches like Zion, like Jerusalem. St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote of this longing for Jerusalem, which is so native to every Catholic baptized heart. Herb Sion Munica, Mancio Mystica, Condita Cielo, Nung Tibi Gaudio, Nung Tibi Lugio, Tristor, Angelo, O Sion, O Pax, O Nova Mancio. O Zion, thou city sole and single, mystic mansion hidden away in the heavens, now I rejoice in thee, now I moan and mourn and yearn for thee. But plenary radiance fills thy walls and thy citadels. I can as little tell of it as I can touch the skies with my finger or run upon the sea or make a dart stand still in the air. Thy splendor overwhelms every heart, O Zion, O peace, O thou timeless city. O Zion, O Zion, Zion. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.